As you can see, the Bible reading today is from Galatians 5, 16 to 25. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Thanks, Rob. Let's pray. Father, your word is living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword, and we just ask that tonight you would use it and that your spirit would wield it so that we could grow to be more like your son, Jesus. Amen. I I think that there is often an unhelpful uh, split or a divide that exists amongst Christians. It's not one that's often spoken of, but I think it's often one that we think about. And that is, uh, and I've noticed it in the conversations that I've had with people in this church and in other churches as well. I think that divide is between people who are very much Bible-oriented and then people who are very much Spirit-oriented or oriented around things of the spiritual realm. I don't know if you've noticed this as well, that there's this kind of divide amongst Christians. Uh, and what really I think is, is hard about this divide is that it, sometimes it feels as if you have to choose a side. You know, you're going to be a Bible Christian or you're going to be a spiritual Christian, uh, which I think is, is unhelpful. My goal tonight in this passage that we have is to show you that there is a spirit-filled, Bible-based way of living. Uh, We're going to look to the Bible to find out what the spirit-filled life looks like, simply put. Uh, And hopefully that that resonates with you in the way that it resonates with me. I think that this is a very helpful part of the scriptures. The question I've got for tonight is, how do we know that our lives are spirit-filled? How do we know that our lives are spirit-filled? What does a spirit-filled life look like? Unfortunately, over the past little while at youth, um, we've been talking about the Holy Spirit quite a lot. Uh, which has been really, like for me personally, it's just been an amazing opportunity to, to grow in my understanding of God, <laughs> the third member of the Trinity, uh, which seems like, such a, it seems like such an obvious thing to talk about God uh, in youth groups, so that's been a privilege. Um, but I've, I've learned stuff over that time, and, and, and this passage has a lot to say about the role of the Holy Spirit in the life of the Christian. So we're going to dive into it and think about what it looks like. Uh, to, how do we know that our lives are Spirit-led? The first thing that I want to tell you about a spirit-led life is that there is conflict within the spirit-led life. Have a look at the verses again. Uh, Keep that Bible open in front of you. That'll help you. Verse 16. 
Paul says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. So the first thing I want to tell you about the Spirit-led life is that it is a life of conflict. Uh, He talks about the conflict that happens within the life of a Christian because the Holy Spirit lives within you. God is present in your life if you are a Christian. And then you also have the flesh that is also present in your life as a Christian. And these two presences in your life are constantly warring with each other. Uh, There's the, the Spirit, God, and there's the flesh, which it's kind of... Some of you might have different translations of the Bible in your lap, uh, where it'll call the flesh the sinful nature. Uh, the, the flesh is the part of, of the part of you that has been around. Uh, it is your sinful nature. It's the part of you that has been a part of you since you were born. It's important to know that he's not he's not talking about your physical anatomy. He's not talking about your like the skin and the bones and the and the muscles and the tendons. He's not talking about that stuff. He's talking about your fleshly nature. Uh, your old self, the part that belongs um, to the realm of darkness. And he's saying that now, now you, have, you have your flesh still as a Christian, and the Spirit has come into your life as well, and there is this constant conflict. There is a war that is waging, raging inside the Christian. Now, I don't know how you feel about that, the fact that there's this, this tension going on inside of you. Uh, it reminds me of that um, Inner Health Plus ad, I don't know if you remember the Inner Health Plus ad, but there is the good bacteria and there's the bad bacteria. And, you know, if you have enough of this particular brand of uh, good bacteria, your gut will be okay. But the, it, I, I don't know if it's, if it's a comforting thing for you or if, it's, or if it's a challenging thing for you to hear, but I think that there is some comfort in this. If you are somebody who has wrestled with sin, if you have struggled in the fight against sin, the comfort of knowing that there is conflict going on inside of you is that your experience is normal. If you've, for weeks and months and years and even decades, and maybe even your whole life, struggled against sin and sometimes felt like there's no victory, like you're constantly discouraged, that's actually normal Christian Christian experience. There is this war raging inside of you. So there's comfort in this truth. I think there's also a corrective in this as well, because there are some Christians who live their life as if they're going from strength to strength as if they're going from victory to victory to victory to victory. Nothing phases them. Everything is perfect. You know, they've left their old life behind, and all they're doing is just living in the Spirit. Or at least that's what they say. But Paul is saying here that conflict is normal. Conflict is a part of the Christian experience. If you are living a Spirit-led life, there will be conflict inside you. But maybe this is also a challenge for you, because you've gotten into this phase of your Christian life where you're just kind of going through the motions. There isn't conflict because you're not fighting the flesh. The spirit in you has he's just taken a break. So, you, you know, you, you go to church and you go to community group and, and sin is present in your life, but you're kind of like, yeah, I know it's there and I know I should do something about it, but I'm sick of the conflict. I just want peace. But conflict in the Christian life is normal. The, war, the spirit and the flesh are warring against each other. So do you feel that conflict? Because spirit-led Christians feel conflict. So that's the first thing it says in this passage. The next thing that it says is that spirit-led Christians have crucified the works of the flesh. 
Have a look at verse 24 in the passage. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. This is a really stark image. I think we're just getting used to talking about the language of crucifixion. But think, think, think with the mind of a first century person for a moment. Paul is writing this. He's seeing crucifixion happen. Crucifixion was a just horribly evil thing. It was a brutal form of execution that was performed by evil people to escalate suffering in the cause of killing someone. And Paul picks up that disgusting image and he says, this is how you should treat the sin in your life. Crucify it. He says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh. This is the way that Paul often speaks about sin in the life of the Jesus. For for a Christian, uh, whatever Jesus has gone through, you have also gone through. And so Jesus was crucified and so, so with him you died. And then Jesus rose from the dead. So with him, you also rose from the dead. And so Paul, the way that Paul encourages us to grow as Christians is to become what we already are in Christ Jesus. We have already died to sin. We've been raised to a new life in the Spirit. And so we should live in that new life. And that's the sort of language that Paul is picking up here. Just like that verse that uh, Kieran read before in Galatians. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Paul says in 2, verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ... It's no longer I who lives, but Christ lives in me. So in Paul's mind, the Christian has crucified the flesh. They've killed it. They're putting it to, they're putting it to death. Now, if you're kind of thinking, okay, so the Christians are, are meant to have crucified the flesh. And maybe that sounds a bit too abstract for you. So Paul gives you a list of what it looks like to be living in the flesh. Have a look at verse 19. This is one of those lists in the Bible that you kind of go, oh, Sounds M-A, or even R. (laughs) Have a look at it. Verse 19. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy. And then he says, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. Notice he says, and the like. He's like, if I haven't named your particular brand of poison, just know it's there as well. <laughs> but actually, when you look at this list, there's, there's order to it. There's, there's categories that he's working with. There's four categories that you see. So the first one is sex and sexuality. He says sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. They're all different descriptions of sexual immorality. And then the second one is spiritual spirituality. He says that part of the, part of the way that you can live a sinful life is, is in your spirituality which might be a surprise to some of you. He says that idolatry and witchcraft are a sinful way of living. And then after that, he lists a bunch of ways that our sinfulness plays itself out in the context of community. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy. It's the biggest section of this list, probably because he's writing to a community that can't seem to get along with each other. Uh, And you might look at some of those things and, and... they're commonplace for any community that you live in. But in this context, Paul says, they are not to be part of the life of a Christian. These are the sorts of things that Christians should be crucifying. You should be getting rid of them. Things like jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, factions, envy, 
I think that they're pretty commonplace things in our society. I don't know if you have the same experience, but Paul says these are the sorts of things that should be crucified. They are no longer to be part of the Christian's life. The last couple of things he says is drunkenness, orgies, and the like. Uh, and the reason an orgies isn't in the first part of the list where he talked about sexuality is because probably in the first century, orgies was referring to, to um, frat party style sorts of, like everyone get together and, and just get drunk. Uh, so it's, it's more about uh, overindulgence than it is about sexuality when he says orgies there. You'll notice that he says that there's a warning after he gives that list. He says in verse 21, I warn you as I did before, those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, it's important to keep in mind that he's talking about habitual practice. So he's not talking, he's not talking about once off uh, and then repented of lapses into these sorts of things. He's talking about people who live habitually this way. So if these are sins that you're given to habitually, day in and day out, normal part of your life, then there's a warning for you. You might not be inheriting the kingdom of God. Because the Spirit should be at work in your life to rid you of those things. Paul's aiming at your complacency. He's saying these, these sorts of things are to have no place in the life of a Christian. Crucify them. Get rid of them. The question I want you to ask yourself about these things is, could verse 24 be said of you? Have a look at verse 24. Could this be said of you? Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So picture the sin that is residual in your life, the the sin that you still hold on to. Are you putting it on the cross? Or is it comfortably on the couch of your life? Just, it's at home. Maybe you fought it for a little while, but then you just got sick of it, and you're like, this is too hard, I've had enough, I don't want the conflict anymore, and so it's just going to stay here comfortably. Paul says that that should not be the way for Christians. Sin belongs on the cross, and so we should send it there. The third thing uh, that Paul wants to say about the Spirit-led life is that the Spirit-led life, and this is probably the bit that you're hoping to hear about, is, is produces the fruit of the Spirit. The Spirit-led life produces the fruit of the Spirit. So have a look at verse 22 and 23. You might be very familiar with these verses. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, the first thing that I want to say is that, you know, I don't know how, what you think of it. Imagine that you'd never heard of this list before. Uh, and somebody said to you, what do you think that the Holy Spirit produces? What do you think that the Holy Spirit produces? And you sat there and you thought about it for a little bit. I'm tempted to think that you probably would start thinking about the weird and, well, the, the less uh, normal realm uh, things. Things like, strange things like speaking in tongues and prophecy and healing and the warm and fuzzies and the visions and, and all of those different sorts of things that the Holy Spirit does do. But notice here that when Paul is talking about the produce of the Holy Spirit in these verses, he says really, really normal and hum-ho things like self-control and gentleness. I think this is a really great corrective for our culture because we, we have this terrible way of thinking as Westerners where because we are, have been so indoctrinated in materialism, we think that there is the realm that we see and we have control over it. And then there's the realm that we don't see 
And that's the stuff that belongs to the Spirit. And so we, we, we think about, you know, love, joy, peace, patience, and we go, yeah, that's, in the, that's, the, that's the realm that we have control over. But it, there's a corrective in this that Paul's saying, no, 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 those sorts of things are the work of the Holy Spirit. They are the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Not that the other things aren't as well, because we've got these two realms, but I think biblically that they're actually just the same thing. There is just one universe that God created, uh, and he made everything that's in it. And so it's, it's helpful to think about the fact that the Holy Spirit doesn't just produce uh, miraculous deeds and things like that. He also produces gentleness and goodness and joy. These really seemingly normal things. Hold on, I can't find my spot. Okay. The other thing that I think is really interesting about this passage when he, he talks about the fruit of the Spirit is that um, it's the fruit of the Spirit, right? And so you might read that and you go, okay, well, it's the fruit that the Spirit is producing within me. Um, what role do I play in the production of fruit for the Spirit? Is it, is it Holy Spirit working in me or is it me producing these things for myself? Have a look at verse 16. Paul says, So I say, walk by the Spirit. So that's, that's active, you. I'm telling you, walk by the Spirit. And then verse 18, he says, but if you are led by the Spirit, do these certain things. And then in verse 25, he says, since we live by the Spirit, let's keep in step with the Spirit. So you get this combination of passive and active. Sometimes he says, walk by the Spirit. Other times he says, the Spirit is going to lead you. And then he finishes by saying, keep in step with the Spirit. So who produces these things in my life? Is it the Holy Spirit or is it me? And I think Paul in these verses would just say, yes, Holy Spirit and you producing these things together, because that's just the way that it works. And what I think is really interesting about this is that the last fruit of the Spirit that's mentioned here is self-control. So the discipline of you doing the, the things, the fruit of the Spirit is actually itself one of the fruit of the Spirit. Do you see that? That's really helpful, isn't it? When you have to work hard to produce the fruit of the Spirit, you are, in your working to produce it, actually also producing a fruit of the Spirit. Self-control is itself one of the fruit. And I say one of the fruit, because many of you would have heard this before, and to be honest, uh, until I was preparing for the sermon this week, this is always my understanding of it. Notice he says, fruit of the Spirit, not fruits of the Spirit. And a lot of preachers will make the point that, ah, because it's fruit, it's singular, they all grow up together. And so you should be getting equally good at love and joy and peace and patience, and all of those things at the same time. And I thought, that theologically, yeah, great point. Sanctification happens together. What's really interesting in researching this, somebody pointed out the obvious to me, which often happens, is that um, fruit is itself a plural word. <laughs> which I'd never realized before. You know, like fruit, it can refer to something singular, but it can also refer to something plural. It's like sheep or fish. It means a singular, and it also means the plural. Or church, it means the building, but it also means the people. It, it's, it's singular and plural. So when he refers to the fruit of the Spirit, he's talking about them as if, you know, they are individual things. So it is possible to be fantastically developed in the fruit of love and to have no... Self-control. It's possible. Now, 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 there's probably other things that can be said about that. Like, it is true that if, if the Spirit is at work in you, He's going to be producing all of the fruits of the Spirit. Uh, but it, it's also good to be reminded that they are not just 
Well, it's not just the singular fruit of the Spirit. And on that point, I think it's, it's really a helpful question to ask. Do, um, are you producing... Well, something that I was taught to ask about these, fruit, uh, these fruits is when I'm having conversations with people, I'll, I'll say to them, like, so what fruit of the Spirit is God working in your life at the moment? Think about that. Which fruit of the Spirit is God producing in your life at the moment? Maybe that's something you want to ask somebody after church. Uh, because we're doing this whole thing about you know being together as a church to build each other up. It's not just about what I say to you. It's also about what you say to each other. So you could ask each other after the church, what fruit of the Spirit is God producing in you? This is, this is the work of the Spirit in our lives. He's doing these three things. He's, there, the Spirit-led life is a life of conflict. The Spirit is at war with the flesh inside of you. And like Kieran reminded us before, the helpful thing to keep in mind is that Jesus has already been risen from the dead. There is victory. And so we can defeat sin, even though we know that there will always be conflict within us. The second thing that the Spirit does is that he crucifies the flesh. No, so the Spirit-led life is a life that crucifies the flesh. We're not complacent about the sin that's in our life. We have to see the sin in our life crucified And then the third thing that the Spirit does is that He produces fruit in us. Love, joy, peace, patience, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, which is a really great description of the life that Jesus lived. Because the fruit of the Spirit is is basically a description of the, the work of the Spirit in the life of Jesus. The fruit of the Spirit show us how we should be living, but they also, we, we are to be led by the Spirit as well as walk in the Spirit. And that's what it means to be led by the Spirit. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your gift of the Holy Spirit in us. Lord, I ask that you would continue to produce fruit in our lives. Help us to to crucify the sin that is present in our lives still, Lord. Give us patience and endurance for that fight. Give us the self-control as well. And we pray these things in your Son's name. Amen.